This week on Against the Grain, alternative Thanksgiving foods and SEC quarterback prospects. You know, usual holiday fare. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. Welcome to Against Great. I'm your host, Andrew Perloff. I'm here with Marvin Prince, producer extraordinaire. It is a Thanksgiving edition of Against the Grain. So we're going to do a little food talk with my old buddy, Andy Staples from The Athletic. He's going to break down his favorite sides and maybe some alternative ways to do turkey. Marvin, what's your, uh, what's your go-to Thanksgiving side? You know what? Stuffing. Yeah. Stuffing's a big thing for me. I like it. And... Mac and cheese. What? Little against the grain, pun intended, but mac and cheese, definitely a one seat. Yeah, we like to go against the grain here. And talking about Thanksgiving sides, the week of Thanksgiving is about as standard sports talk radio fare as you get. So we're not going to spend too much time on that. I do want to talk about some quarterback prospects with Andy. Andy and I have done a lot of draft stuff over the years. He's a college guy, but he has a good eye for who's going to be a pro guy. I'm very interested in a bunch of SEC quarterbacks. He's down there in Gainesville. Kyle Trask, who's on the Dan Patrick Show today, not not my guy. I'm going to be honest. I feel like he he he's definitely like he's a game manager, efficient, really great in that offense. You know, I'm more like a Justin Herbert, physical talent kind of. Just guy. get after it. Get at like I if I get Kyle Trask, I'm like yeah, he could you know he could be a pretty good quarterback. Maybe upside of Ryan Tannehill, or maybe he's more like. I don't even know who he's like. He's he's kind of like one of those not strong arm guys, which are good because that's not the skill you need in the NFL. But I'm much more excited about it. my new guy. I'm excited about is Michael Penix Jr., the Indiana quarterback. Based on kind of, I mean, I'm being partly a fan here. When he throws a deep ball, it's gorgeous, and he's a lefty, which is even more amazing. You know, he got a lot of attention for stretching that ball out against Penn State. I thought he played great against Ohio State. Outplayed Justin Fields. Justin Fields, I still think is a number two pick, but. Man, that was a weird game. I'm like, wow, Justin Fields isn't perfect because I came in thinking he was, and he just wasn't. So Trey Lance, by the way, hearing good things about his workouts, hearing he's getting after that draft prep, got a cannon of an arm. We'll get into the quarterbacks with Andy. Real quick before we get into that, Tom Brady lost this week, Monday night against the Rams. Can the NFL media stop being so week to week? This is insane. Scores 46 points against the Panthers. Everyone's like, oh, my God, he's got such a great cast of weapons. Add Antonio Brown. It's amazing. Now he loses, and it's like he turned, he gained 10 years overnight. You got to stop. You can't go week to week. I think I'm channeling Dan Patrick here. You guys got to decide. Is Tom Brady good or not? Marvin, decide. What is he? No, he's good because the Bucks are 7-4. and four. I know they are an inconsistent bunch. But when they are at their best, I think they can compete with anybody in the NFC but here's the thing, when they lay an egg, like last night, but I'm not even sure if they laid an egg because they lost by three, yeah. but the Saints blew the doors off of them also. That's, so uh, they have some, you know, some crappy showings, you know, during the season, but I think overall, like, they're a good team, so. Well, I mean, does a Super Bowl team lose, like, 38-3? That's what I wonder about. I think there's been a couple, like, we, I would need Ethan. Ethan. Yes, Our for stats sure. guy at Dan Patrick Show. Yes. I would need Ethan or somebody else from Stats Inc. to kind of see if there was any, like, terrible losses by a team that ended up winning the Super Bowl, you know, that same season. But 
I don't know. And like it sucks for them because it was a division game. Yeah. Oh, th- that's a disaster. That they, that's and they'll terrible. probably face them in the playoffs if if they make the playoffs. But listen, it was it's a night game. It's not great at it. I think they have a great chance against Kansas City because Kansas City's been you know letting everyone come to them. They almost lost to the Panthers, and the the Bucks blew out the Panthers. You know, associated property. Therefore, hence to forth, Tom Brady will be good again. I like what I see out of Antonio Brown too. He had a catch on the sideline on Monday night that like only a few guys can make. It was a simple play, but he's got such great body control. I just worry there's a lot of talent to get the ball out to. I don't quite know how Brady does that. I don't know how he keeps Evans, Godwin, Brown, Gronk, and still throws to the running backs. I think Fournette had a bad game. But I, I think they'll be fixed a little bit. I I think it's overreaction to Tom Brady. The beauty about what's going on with the Buccaneers, with having Antonio Brown, rather, is Antonio Brown has no choice but to be happy. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah, So it's not one of those things, all right, there's one guy I don't have to worry about complaining about getting the ball because Bruce Arians would just get him out of there. They're 7-4. and four. They, don't, they, they don't need him right now. Right. Like, he's a luxury. So that being said, I mean, he's shown no signs of having an attitude problem that we know of. So none, not at all. And I think he's with two guys that aren't going to put up with it. And they have the resume to not put up with it. They did a pregame feature, by the way. And this will transition to Andy because we're going to talk a lot about college. Uh, Jason Pierre Paul, Levante David went to the same junior college. Can you imagine Lining up against those two dudes, uh, that would be crazy in junior college level. I would have loved to seen him on like last chance you. Oh yeah. I love Levante David. I he's getting a little stud pub, stud linebacker. Pub this year. Yeah, he's a stud. Jason Pierre Paul is amazing. Two interceptions in the last two games. He is really, really good. And he's a guy I've given up on his career, obviously with the hand incident, but I've given up on him multiple times. So yeah, I'm really into that team a little bit. I, I find them worth rooting for. My, I don't know if you follow me on Twitter, but the team that I've become a fan of, Do you, have you noticed the one team that I've quietly been on their bandwagon? No. The Las Vegas Raiders are my kind of team. And I'll tell you why. There's First of all, Brett Musburger does their radio. That's a good thing. They're in Vegas. The stadium looks amazing. Phenomenal. Hunter Renfro is the easiest guy to root for. He's so good, and he looks like he's 53 years old. I mean... He was at Clemson for 12 years. Josh, ja- Josh Jacobs is the easiest player to root for in the NFL. He was a three-star, random, three-star yeah. going to Alabama, which sounds nuts. I know we'll get into that with Andy about, you know, recruits and all that, but that sounds nuts to me. Well, he had to, yeah, he had a crazy, you know, obviously he was well, well-documented, had to sleep in his car. Great story, great kid. I got to do a pre-draft thing with him, and he was amazing. Uh, the other guy... Darren Waller, you know, the uh, tight end. First of all, he's amazing. Second of all, he's in recovery. I respect that. I love him. Derek Carr, I have trouble embracing. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> he, can, he had an amazing game uh, on Sunday night against Mahomes. But I don't know. I like everybody on the Raiders, and I feel like they kind of elevate Derek Carr. I don't know what it is. I, I can't get into that. His yet. hair. Is that his hair? I'm is not that, sure if I like eyeliner it. eyeliner look? like Justin Herbert. He kind of fights people on Twitter, and like, uh, and I like his brother too. He's a really good analyst, David. But I just, I really want to be all in. I'm all in on Gruden. Gruden's the best. Why not? So the Raiders are really my team, except for Derek Carr. I'm more ambivalent. You mean him. the lead singer of Green Day? Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's a that's a couple of my NFL things for the week. Lay off Tom Brady, or at least don't be week to week, and embrace the Raiders. But right now, I want to talk to Andy Staples from The Athletic, who's one of the great sports food writers. He's going to talk about Thanksgiving, and we're going to break down some NFL draft prospects. All right, Andy, I know you've written extensively about Thanksgiving foods. What is your number one all-time seed for Thanksgiving sides? It's mac and cheese. And I know people will like, that's still on a Thanksgiving side. Well, you just told me where you're from, and that's fine. I don't really care about the food opinions of Yankees, so I'm not particularly <laughs> worried about what you think about it. Uh, but mac and cheese is the number one side dish at any meal. It is the king of side dishes. And at Thanksgiving, it is still the best side dish. It, you know, some of the, the thanks, not Thanksgiving only, but, you know, the fall-centric side dishes are, are coming in. You just your sweet potato casserole and, uh, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy are, are good any time of the year. But, uh, you know, I, mac and cheese is always the best side dish. It is the best vegetable in Southern cooking. I'm going to call it in. It actually contains no vegetables. I'm going to call in my producer, Marvin, who is from Connecticut and is shaking his head vigorously on the mac and cheese. So it might be a Northeastern. Marvin, you love mac and cheese? Love mac and cheese. It's definitely the number one seed. If it's the NCAA tournament, it's Duke every year. Now, we're just talking guys straight mac and cheese or like like fancy cheeses or bacon added in, just any mac and cheese? I, I'm totally no, lost No, it's got to be good mac and cheese. We're talking homemade. We're not talking about craft easy mac here. This is... So the, the mac and cheese I'm going to make, and I'm going to make it tomorrow. I, I'll make it Wednesday and bring it over to Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday. You, you make it, put it in the fridge, and then you bake it on Thursday right before you serve it. So um, I, will, I, I stole it, I'll, I'll admit. It's from a, a restaurant called Clarkston Union in Clarkston, Michigan. And they've got another sister restaurant called Union Woodshop. It's a barbecue place where they also serve it. That was the first place I ever ate it. And I was like, this is the best mac and cheese I've ever had. And so naturally, I looked it up on the Internet. Can I find the recipe? And the recipe is on the Internet. So uh, it, is, it is outstanding. It's thick. It's not soupy. I don't like a soupy mac and cheese. It's more of a casserole. Uh, they don't do bacon in theirs. I add thick-cut bacon to mine because mm-hmm. I just think it's a, it's a good, you know, get a little meat in there. Dude, and you add bacon nothing, to everything. So meeting your meeting your side dishes. What that means nothing to me that you're adding bacon, because you add bacon to everything. I I picture you really? sitting really adding much. bacon to your morning oatmeal. So I don't think that <laughs> really means what. By the way, so this is kind of sounds a little heavy in carbs for me. This mac and cheese is. Uh, what are we talking about here? It's not a health food. A, li- a little heavy in carbs. It's <laughs> the least healthy thing you can eat. This thing. I don't know what it has. How, how many calories it has per serving. I. Because I know I dump about two giant bags of cheese in, and that's I I started out trying to use different fancy cheeses. Like I went and got Gruyere, and I went and got uh, Emmentaler, and a bunch of different kinds. Of, <laughs> and then over time, I realized just get the Mexican blend. Yeah, it melts great. The kids love it because the kids at first, the, you know, the the adults ate the fancy cheese, but the kids were like, "What is this?" And so. I've, I've gravitated more toward, hey, this stuff, like, the, and, the, and the Mexican cheese blend is made to melt. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect kind of cheese. And so I throw that on there. And you also use a little Parmesan, too. Uh, but it is, it's outstanding. And it probably is, I don't know, 600 calories serving. <laughs> like a pan of it's probably like 10,000 calories. It's ridiculous. 
We're going to get out of cheese rabbit hole here for a second. So I tried to introduce my kids to American Craft Singles, American cheese, in a plastic wrapper. Uh-huh. They looked at me like yeah. I was crazy. These little Brooklyn kids who were like, kids. yeah, no, no, no. Because I grew up you're on that, here. Eddie. I grew you're up on little hipsters. You little hipsters have it figured out. I grew up on it, too. And then I realized later when I had got to eat good cheese that it was crap. Well, I'm from Philadelphia, as you know, and nothing goes better yeah. than a cheesesteak with Cheese Whiz. So our palates are right. designed for artificial cheese. Will you agree with that? <laughs> you need plastic squeezy cheese. I understand. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what, what's another side? By the way, is it stuffing or dressing down south? What's the deal? Uh, my family always calls it dressing. Yeah, we call it but stuffing. The, uh, but the other thing is, like, they, they didn't cook it inside the turkey. Oh, okay. it wasn't just shoved into the turkey and cooked. It was it was made as a separate dish. So, like, I get why you call it stuffing if you're stuffing it inside the turkey and cooking. Which, by the way, the stuffing it inside the turkey cooking method I think is great because you get all those juices coming down from the bird. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I I would rather have it out of the bird. I think that that's a fantastic way to do it. I I didn't really experience eating it like that until I got married and my wife's family did it that way. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, cranberry out of a can or regular good cranberry? I think it depends on my mood. Yeah. I, 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 if I'm feeling nostalgic, I want the can. Mm-hmm. I want it to be can-shaped. I want to be able to cut cyndrillical slices <laughs> of cranberry sauce and just, eat, just put, it, put like a disc of cranberry sauce and a piece of cheese on a cracker <laughs> and eat that as, a, as an appetizer. Ooh, I like where your head's at. Uh, turkey alternatives. Uh y- Deep fried, barbecued. Uh, what what do you got? What have you tried over the years? So we've done a few different things. We're going to do ham this year along with the turkey, just because the ham makes the best leftover sandwiches. That's that's oh, the, yeah. when when you think about it, you really should be considering the leftovers because how many how much are you really going to eat at Thanksgiving dinner? You can say, oh, I'm going to eat three plates of this. No, you're not. You're gonna you're gonna fill up your plate. You're going to eat that. You might go back for a couple more things, but you're not going to sit there and eat 10 pounds of, of turkey mm-hmm. or ham or whatever it is. So consider the meals after. Consider the meals on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and what are you going to want? You're going to want ham sandwiches. So I, I think that's a good one. Uh, if you want to go a little more shishi frou-frou, I've done this for Christmas dinner a bunch. I think we did it one Thanksgiving dinner too, though. Um, I'll roast a leg of lamb, and oh, that nice. goes real well. You, you know, cut the slits, put the little chunks of garlic in there, uh, you know, put rosemary all over it, and, and just roast it on the grill, and it is outstanding. But it's one of those, the adults want it, the kids hate it. I, I think Thanksgiving stuff should really be complete crowd-pleaser type stuff. I think the kids should like it, and adults should like it. You don't need to get too fancy. Now, when you think about your ham sandwich, I know you like to think holistically. What kind of mustard product are we talking here? I would use like a spicy brown or mm-hmm. maybe even like a, a you know, the, the full, full-on lumpy mustard. I, I'm trying to like, Wait, like a offer, na- you know. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. Are you not like a, a mustard connoisseur? Like, because, you know, you I pause it. Okay. All right, good. No, okay. I, lo- I love mustard. It's, it's my favorite condiment. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, regular yellow mustard if I have to on that ham sandwich, but I want some sort of spicy, you know, fancier mustard. I'm not a great Poupon guy. That, that, that is not, no, no. not my favorite of the fancy mustards, but uh, I do like, you know, a good 
hot deli mustard. Yeah, my darn bougie kids in Brooklyn probably like Grey Poupon. So uh, I always, by the way, the leftover, I always associate leftover Thanksgiving with the Oregon State-Oregon game. Is that always Friday after Thanksgiving? <laughs> and I'm picturing Sean, watching Sean Mannion in my kitchen. I remember this, eating a turkey sandwich. That's the I Friday after Thanksgiving. Good. Yeah. I well, they were. It wasn't always. They, they that one moved around. I do remember covering one edition of that game on Black Friday when Oregon won the Pac-12. It was actually for the Pac-12 title, and it was Jeremiah Masoli was Oregon's quarterback. Oh, I yeah. think it was Chip's first year. This was 2009. That would have been Chip's first year. So that that one I did cover. Pretty sure that was a Black Friday game. Uh, I I always associate Nebraska Iowa with Black Friday. Okay. And one of my greatest sports writing trip, just pull, just managing to pull it off, was was a Black Friday a few years ago, and it was Nebraska Iowa. I think it was the year Iowa went undefeated during the regular season and lost to Michigan State in the Big Ten championship game on that twenty-two play drive. So Iowa beats Nebraska, but the the, the deal was I didn't want to miss Thanksgiving, so I was going to fly on Black Friday arrive in time for kickoff, which I think was either one or two o'clock Eastern time in Lincoln. And could I pull it off? Wow. And so I get up, you know, four 30 in the morning, catch my 6am flight out of Gainesville, Florida to Atlanta, get on the flight to Omaha. It's running mostly on time. Then we sit on the runway for a little bit. I'm like, Oh no, not going to make it. Not going to make it. You know, you, you land in Omaha Run to the rental car, drive as fast as you can to Lincoln. I made it as the toe was hitting the ball on the opening kickoff into my seat. And th- but that's not the best part. The best part is I cover the game, interview everybody, write my story, and I'm walking to the car and I look at my watch, and it is 8.05. The drover in Omaha closes at 9. Oh, if I can wow. get in before the, the door gets locked, I can get a whiskey ribeye, and it's a 45-minute drive. I made it at, like, 8.53, and I got my whiskey ribeye. One of the best days of my life. I can, I can hear the passion. I can top you on the opposite side. I don't even know if I've ever told you this. It, one year I did yellow line on the Thursday night college football game and had to uh-huh. go down and work in Starkville for Mississippi State, Mississippi, which meant— Wednesday night, we had to, I had to do Thanksgiving with the ESPN crew and spend the night. Of, you know, that's a night game. So my Thanksgiving yeah. oh, was yeah. in Starkville. And I don't, I've, I don't know where you stand on Starkville, but it's not home for the holidays. Uh, see, I'm a fan of Starkville, but the problem is on Thanksgiving, when, when like restaurant Tyler's yeah. closed, you're not, you're not, or Petty's Barbecue, you're not getting the, the fullness of Starkville. No, it was it was not a great experience. Although I did run into midnight of Thanksgiving, Lee Corso in the grocery store buying six bottles of Diet Coke, which is an interesting thing. There you go. Yeah, which I'm sure would not surprise you. Hey, I want to talk a little football Why I have you. I want to run down. Now, you went to Florida, correct? I did. Quick question. I heard Florida is impossible to get into now. Is is this rumor true? Like it's the hard, one of the hardest schools in the country. Like if you have a 4 you is. might be out of luck. It is significantly more difficult than when I went there. When yeah. I went there, it was everybody's fallback school. That's amazing. And now it's everybody's kind of target school. And, yeah, like I, my kids live five miles from campus, and I'm like, you, you better buckle down on the grades or you're not going there. 
because it's it, it has gotten really tough to get into. Now you can you can still do some stuff like you can go to the community college first and then and then transfer in as a junior, and it's still fairly easy to do that. But to get in out of high school, it's it's become more challenging. So we had Kyle Trask on the Dan Patrick show today. I got to tell you, he was a bit vanilla, which I don't mind if I'm looking at, uh, you know, at this time of year, you don't want to say any bulletin board material. But I'm going to run through these. Oh, he's not going to say any. Yeah. So we used to do a draft show at Sports Illustrated. Just tell me, guy, not a guy for NFL consideration. I know you don't look at these guys like this, yes, but let's start with Kyle Trask. Oh, he's a guy. Yeah. He's a guy. Look at some of the throws he's been making. Because the the test for me with Trask, was what happened after Pitts got hurt. Because Kyle Pitts was kind of his security blanket. And, I mean, you can go back to when, when Trask takes over the job after Felipe Franks gets hurt last year, and you see just how much he relies on Kyle Pitts uh, just as the guy who's always there when he needs him. And, and you realize Pitts is a first-round talent. So, okay, what happens when he gets hurt? Well, Trask is, is making the same kind of great throws – to Justin Shorter, to Trevon Grimes, to Keon Zipperer, to Kamora Gamble. All those guys are making plays. And, you know, look, a lot of those guys are pretty good. It's sort of like the, the Florida had the four receivers last year who were not first-round guys but all wound up starting in the NFL. And I, I think Van Jefferson has first career touchdown on Monday Night Football against the, uh, the Bucs this week. But Trask is the one making those throws. Some, of, I mean, the receivers are pretty good, like – uh, Justin Shorter is a really good uh, jump ball guy. Uh, Pitts is, is a fantastic jump ball guy. But Trask is putting these balls in places where, where you can't get them. His, his touch is great. There's a, a throw in the Arkansas game right before the half where they're sending six at him. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty heavy blitz. Uh, but he knows he's got one-on-one. He knows the back corner of the end zone is empty, so he just chucks it up there for zipper and lets him run under it in the only place mm. – he, the only thing he could do is either catch it for a touchdown or catch it out of bounds. There was no danger in the throw. And I think that's the other thing about Trask's decision-making. He gets the ball out quick, and he's very decisive, but he doesn't put the ball in danger all that often. And I think that's a, that's a pretty underrated trait because, you know, you look at these guys in the NFL, you've got to be able to make that decision quickly, and it's got to be decisive. It can't be, well, I guess I'm going to do this. With Trask, you always like he makes that decision and, and he's go, he's throwing and it's gonna it's gonna be like this was my plan all along, but he's not guessing ever. He just he knows his offense very well. He knows where his guy's supposed to be, and he gets it to him. and And I think the arm strength is good enough to make all the throws he needs to make. It's not Trevor Lawrence arm strength, but it's good enough. I got a note from a buddy. I like one buddy who's a good scout who said arm strength is going to be the question with him. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, you know how absolutely. the NFL is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, that, that's the thing. If you put him next to Trevor Lawrence at the Combine, yeah. well, it's going to be like, wow. That's, that's very different. But how often are you going to be asking him to make some of these throws? Like, Yes, Trevor Lawrence can, can throw an out on the far side of the field, you know, 15 yards down the field, which is really like a 60-yard throw. Kyle Trask is not going to make that throw. Yep. But Kyle Trask is going to make most of the day-to-day throws you need him to make, and, and very effectively and very accurately. So that's the thing. And, and I just think the way he has taken in this offense and really kind of made it his own, because I went back for a story I was doing last week, and I watched 
a little bit of him right after he got the starting job. And it, you could tell. I mean, they were just trying to figure out what he could do. This season's been more of like a grad level season mm-hmm. for him, where he he is clearly has a lot of input into the game plan. He has a lot of freedom at the line of scrimmage and seems to really understand how the offense works and where the receivers are supposed to be and, and when they're in a bad play, when to get them out. And it's just, you know, and and some of this is also from talking to, to Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator and and the head coach, Dan Mullen, that they will, they will tell you that they're not that worried about him changing plays. A lot of time Mullen mentioned last week that there'll be times when, Trask is doing something out on the field, and Mullen and Johnson will be on the headset and be like, what's he doing? What's he doing? <laughs> and then they're like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing here. And he, it's almost always right, so they're not particularly concerned about it. So I, I like that, and, you know, it, do you want to draft him and make him your starter in the NFL right away? I, I don't know if I'd want that. I think I'd want him to be able to sit there for a year and learn an offense. Yeah. So he knows it inside and out once he's starting. You know, kind of like – you know, the Chiefs gave Mahomes the redshirt year sure. and had Alex Smith doing playing really well. That's the kind of situation you'd love for a guy like Trask to get into where he doesn't get thrown right into it. And when he does finally get his chance, he knows the offense backward and forward. You know, uh, by the way, Kyle Pitts went to the same high school as my dad for a while, Abington High School. Oh, wow. A good Philly guy, a tall Philly guy, much like myself. The, uh, you know, have you can you think of another quarterback? Kyle Trask told us that he never started a game, was behind Derrick King at Manville High School. I know one off the top of my head who did not start for the most of his high school career who was an NFL quarterback. Can you think of any other big timers who did not start? No, not, not guys who became NFL quarterbacks. I mean, like I know like Nick Fitzgerald, who started at Mississippi State, was not a high school starter, I want to say, until his senior year. Yeah. And actually got offered by Dan Mullen before he started a game in high school. But there have been cases where guys were behind somebody good, yep. started as a senior, and, and blew up. I can't think of one like Kyle. Who's the one Who's the one you know? Uh, well, Andy Dalton didn't really start. I he I don't even know when he started. In high school. Yeah, he's at Katy uh, in Texas. Oh, was, yeah, powerhouse school. Yeah, But he was absolutely recruited out of camps. Um, he had offers yeah. before he started. I, he might have started a senior, so I could be misstating it, but I remember well, and, and that. And that was, that was Trask's situation. I mean, Trask could have moved to another high school and started. His parents liked the school he was at. They, they, it was their neighborhood school. They were happy. And they felt like he could go to camps and he would get a look. And he really didn't. I mean, I think his other offer was like Sam Houston State. But... Uh, Houston Baptist, we looked it up too, is one of them. They oh, yeah, seriously considered. Yeah. They were they were just getting going. Yeah. And but Doug Nussmeyer, who is the offensive coordinator of Florida, he's now the, the Cowboys quarterback coach, he just really liked him yep. and said, you know what, we gotta give this guy a chance. And Florida already had Felipe Franks. Well, actually they didn't have Felipe Franks yet, because they, they ended up flipping Felipe Franks from L S U later. But Trask was the kind of guy you could take him, and he wasn't going to scare off a four or five star quarterback because they're going to look at it and go, "Oh, he's just backup at his high school." Why? It, and, and it's obvious. I mean, you look at Trask, his size, his arm, and you go, "Okay, I see why they're doing this." And it's fine if you've got a scholarship to give. Why not? Because if it works out, then you're a genius. If it doesn't work out, then well, you tried, and and he transferred. So I, I think that's the the thing with Trask is. You know, and he is in a different boat than the average quarterback recruit because 
the average quarterback recruit has been a starter. Maybe he's hopped around school so he could start, and he's going to be more apt to transfer when he doesn't play within the first two two years or so. But Kyle Trask was used to being patient. You know, he. I would think. Let's say Franks had not gotten hurt, and they'd said Emory Jones is going to be our starter in 2020. I would think Trask would have transferred somewhere wow. where he could play if if all that had happened. But he was willing to be more patient than most quarterbacks, and in his fourth year on campus, it happened for him. That's such an interesting thing. I never thought of that. You a program might not want to bring in a four-star recruit because it would scare away another four-star recruit. Is that a game that college coaches have to play these days? Oh, it's so political. It's so political. But here's here's my thing, Andrew, and I, I talk about this on my podcast a lot. Uh, Ari Wasserman is, is a frequent co-host, and he's our recruiting writer at The Athletic. And he's always saying, oh, no, just get the best quarterbacks you can. And I think you should get the best quarterbacks you can. But what I think you should do every other year is supplement your five-star or four-star with a three-star or a mm. two-star that you just love as a human being and, but, and, and think he's a good football player at the level he's playing at in high school because that person is likely to be there when you need him. And so I'll give you a great example. Now, Chase Bryce is probably a higher-level recruit or was a higher-level recruit than most of these guys are talking about. He was a, a three-star, borderline four-star recruit coming out of uh, Grayson High in, in Georgia, near, near Athens, between Atlanta and Athens. And so he gets recruited by Clemson. Clemson offers him a scholarship. He signs. I believe he signed the same year as Hunter Johnson, the, the guy uh, who wound up being transferred to Northwestern. But, but Hunter Johnson was the number one quarterback recruit in his class. Trevor Lawrence was the number one recruit, quarterback recruit a year later. And so Chase Bryce is there on campus. And then all of a sudden, all the other quarterbacks are gone. Like, Zarek Cooper's gone. Hunter Johnson has transferred. Uh, Kelly Bryant left the team that week because Trevor Lawrence was named the starter. So Trevor Lawrence gets hit in the head against Syracuse. And who's left? Chase Bryce. Chase Bryce saved their butts yep. in that Syracuse game. There's no national title in 2018 if they don't beat Syracuse. They don't even win the division. So if you don't have Chase Bryce sitting there, then what do you have? I mean, you, you lost the national championship. And so that's Chase Bryce. Kyle Trask is that guy because he came in with Felipe Franks. Mac Jones is that guy. He was the other quarterback into his class. You know, and Mac Jones is a good quarterback. Now, he had, a, he had an offer from Kentucky. He was already committed to Kentucky. He had other offers from other FES schools, but nothing like Alabama. So when Alabama offered, Mac Jones was like, you know what? I think I'm good enough to play here. And I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care if everybody says, well, you'll never play because Tua's here. I still think I can. And if I can't, then I'll get a degree and I'll transfer. Well, he could. You know, Tua gets hurt, Mac Jones is in, and now Mac Jones is a Heisman candidate. So it, it really helps to have that guy kind of supplementing the five-star guy. I wouldn't do it every year. Like, I wouldn't sign two quarterbacks every year, but I'd sign hmm. a quarterback a year minimum, and then every other year supplement with that guy I just really believe in who I, who I think may be a little bit under-recruited. Well, that, that brings up my next question. You know, that guy, that three-star guy, can become an NFL draft prospect. It, from what you've seen of Mac Jones, is he going to be, like, you think the NFL's – Salivating over yeah. him, interested in him. I think he's second round. They're not salivating, but I, I tell yeah. you, Mac Jones is going to make a bunch of money in the NFL. 
I mean, you can't ignore the production. That show's going to be on a roster for like 11 years. I know. I know. And like, you know, it's interesting if he didn't, if he was like, oh, I got to start at Kentucky, for example, maybe it didn't work out this way for him. So it kind of worked out for the three-star guy in this case as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And then that's why you, that's why you supplement the five-star. That's brilliant. Don't, don't recruit all five stars all the time. Okay. A couple, that, that's, the, that's a headache you don't need. Uh, a couple other SEC quarterbacks. I'm f- curious. Is Kellen Mond playing his way into the NFL, or I feel like he's been there forever now at Texas A&M, <laughs> but I don't know what to make yeah, of him. Yeah, I mean, big we kind of know what, what he is. Yeah, his, his his offensive line is considerably better this year than it has been in any okay. other time in his career. Okay, so I I think he's he's benefiting from that. He's got time to throw. Uh, can he play in the NFL? I think he can. I don't know if he's going to be a star or a starter in the NFL, but can, can he make a roster, be a backup in the NFL for a while? I, I would think so. Okay. Uh, but you got to block for him. I mean, that, if you just look at his career, it's really this year that he's blossomed because he's had some time to throw. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, next year, maybe. Matt Corral. I hope I pronounced it right. Is he possibly Matt Corral? About? Matt Corral, sorry. I watch him. Yeah. I, I, I just love watching him. And I think part of good it is— Good athlete. Good yeah. athlete. Um, surprisingly good. Because they had this other guy named John Rice Plumley, who is a— probably like legit major league prospect as an outfielder and is just lightning fast. And, and really from a football perspective, I don't know that he needs to be playing quarterback unless it's at an option school. Like he probably could do better playing receiver Mm. or running back. He's just, he is that fast. And, but the thought was, do you, do you have two separate kind of two separate schemes you use and you, you use these guys as a two QB system I think what they figured out with Corral, though, he's a good enough athlete to get you out of trouble and and get you some yards on the ground that you just go with him because he's got a great arm. He's completely fearless. Now, that the fearlessness can bite you in the butt sometimes because you go back to the Arkansas game, he threw six picks against Arkansas. Yep. Like, he'll keep trying to fit the ball in that window, and that's the part that would, would give me pause from an NFL perspective. But he is completely fearless in terms of – can I make that throw? Hell yeah, I can make that throw. So he was a, a USC guy and got tied to Lane. How did he end up at Ole Miss? I don't even know this backstory. Well, no, he, he originally committed to Florida. Oh, okay. So actually, he may have committed to USC first, but he's a Southern California guy. Yeah, so uh, that's my dating, question. How did he end up in the dating, Southeast? He was dating Brett Michael's daughter in high school. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so he, he commits to the McElwain staff in Florida. Uh, they get fired. Mullen wanted to bring in Emory Jones, so they, they cut Corral loose, and Corral ended up signing with Ole Miss. So that's okay. how he got there. Oh, see, I saw that he was from Long Beach or something. I figured he was, a, and I knew, I remember reading USC's background. Okay, I'm excited yeah, about he, him he next played year. At, he played at a couple of different big high schools out that way. Yeah, I'm excited for him next year, I think. And Bo Nix was like, wasn't he, how high a recruit was he? Was was he one, two, or three in his class? And, and is he disappointing is he good is it the coaching staff what's going on there he was a big time recruit i yeah. i don't know that he's been the kind of star i think they thought he'd be by this point but he's still a pretty serviceable sec quarterback yeah I, I think you know he's a very good athlete the more confident he is running the ball the the better he is throwing the ball which is which is sort of the hallmark of a gus malzahn quarterback uh, you know when when tank bigsby is healthy and they're running him between the tackles it makes life easier for Bo Nix. Okay. But I'm not sure that, that Bo Nix is the superstar who can carry a team on his back to a 
to an SEC or a national title. There was I mean, like I, early you know, on. I don't some, know if he's growing into that. Early on, when he first came on board, people will eyed him like, "Oh, maybe this is a guy," you know. But you don't think it's mm-hmm. necessarily seeing that yet. Not really, yeah. and and, and it would, I think it would have shown itself by now. Yeah, I do too. And it's not it's not like Auburn lacks for talent. I mean, Seth Williams is one of the best receivers in the country, and and he and Bo Nix have had a good relationship since they've been there. But like Anthony Schwartz is the fastest player in the country. They really have not been able to get him open down the field until recently. You know, Tennessee, I think, gave up a long touchdown to him on a massive coverage bust. But for the most part, they, they've not been able to, to throw him open. And I think that, that goes back to the quarterback. I'll wrap up with two former SEC quarterbacks or SEC commits. Starting with, how about Auburn? I've been kind of watching, and I, I don't get to see a lot because I don't know where to see it, but the Liberty quarterback, Malik Willis, and uh, he's, I see highlights of him and man, I'm like, that looks like a guy to me. What's your thoughts on yeah. Willis? Oh, Willis is really good. And, and especially the way the offenses are moving in the NFL, I think there are going to be some teams that are very intrigued by him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he needs to come out this year or, or play another year. And also here's the question. Is Hugh Freeze going to be with him next year? You know, cause he, uh, he's doing well in Freeze's offense, but is, is Freeze going to get another job? So he, he'll, he may have a decision to make. But uh, Malik is, is a really good quarterback who kind of – he'll tell you that he slacked off a little bit at Auburn because he, he was kind of the, the – you know, that quarterback we were just talking about, kind of under-the-radar guy that you take when you have another big-timer big coming in. He was that guy when they had Jarrett Stidham coming in as a, as a transfer. Okay. And the thought was that Malik was going to, you know, in two or three years, maybe Malik's got a chance to win the job. Well, Malik winds up being the backup as a true freshman and as a sophomore, and he just assumes he's going to take over the job when Sidham leaves, but he didn't really work his way into being in a position to take over the starting job. So after spring practice, before his junior year, he's behind Bo Nix and Joey Gate when he's like, crap, well, I messed this up. And so his, his work ethic at, Li- at Liberty, if you ask you freeze, has just been phenomenal because he realized – that he, he messed up the opportunity there and he's not going to let himself do it again. So I, I just, I, when you talk to him, you really like his personality and you're like, this is the kind of guy I'd like leading a team. And that's exactly what Gus Malzahn said to, to Hugh Freeze and Hugh Freeze called him because, uh, you know, Malik was transferring and he's like, well, what's this guy about? And Gus is like, you're going to like him. Trust me. So I, I think, Willis could be an interesting one, but I, I don't know if he needs another year in college to kind of sharpen his skills. Yeah, tough loss. NC State kind of made him look mortal again. Um, I actually mentioned earlier in the podcast uh, Michael Penix Jr., who, and I, I did some research, was he a Tennessee commit, I believe, and now at Indiana? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it, you want to you make a Tennessee fan mad, just bring his name up. I mean, I'm uh, sorry. It, I watched him against Justin Fields the other day, and I'm like, well, there's one definite NFL quarterback on that field and he's got a left-handed arm. Am I crazy? Yeah. Am I getting too excited? Because I know he's been a little inconsistent. Well, Fields is the <laughs> Fields is the better of those two prospects. He was Penix, not no he he wasn't on Saturday he, though. He, I think Penix outplayed him. I know he, yeah. he had a bad day, but but Penix is Penix has had bad days too. If you go back to the yeah. Penn State game, Penix was awful yeah. the first fifty six minutes of the Penn State game. And then was untouchable for the rest of the time for the for the last part of regulation and, and overtime. Um, he was it, when he's on, he's really good. And now uh, they've got some some great talent at receiver. 
You know, they've got fire, yeah, they've got guy. Fry Fogel. So they, they, they've got targets for him to throw to. But Penix is, is fantastic. Is, you know, and, and think about this. You know, Peyton Ramsey was the guy who led them second half of the season after Penix got hurt last year. They were so confident in Penix, they told Ramsey, you know, just go ahead and transfer because this is our guy. Penix is our guy. Wow. And Ramsey's now the quarterback at, at Northwestern. But, yeah, Penix is really good. And, you know, it goes, goes down in the hall of, of quarterbacks that new coaches at Tennessee just didn't want who were committed to old staffs. And uh, remember when Fulmer got fired, he had Taj Boyd and Bryce Petty committed. And Lane Kiffin cut them both loose. And they wind up becoming really good college quarterbacks. And Tennessee struggled. And then this guy was committed to Tennessee when Butch Jones got fired. And Adrian Martinez was also committed. And then Martinez just flipped to Nebraska. He decided he wanted to go play for Frost. But Penix wanted to play for Tennessee. And then Tyson Helton, who was the offensive coordinator under Jeremy Pruitt originally, decided, no, I want this J.T. Shrout guy out of California. And they told Penix, don't show up on your official visit. Offers no good anymore. Uh, <laughs> will you do me a favor, Andy? Will you write a book just for me on... Uh, recruiting stories gone wrong. I think that'd be amazing. My producer Marvin's going to buy it too. So you have two. I'm with you. Oh, all day long. Yeah, there's there's so many of those where they just. I mean, you look back and you go, "What were you thinking?" But honestly, quarterback recruiting is a complete crapshoot. Really? You don't know, but well, you knew with Trevor Lawrence oh. in eighth grade. You, there's some guys you know, right? You knew with. There's some guys you know. Yes, Trevor Lawrence was an easy one. Trevor Lawrence is anybody who's ever watched a football game can watch Trevor Lawrence throw a football and say, that is someone who is extremely special at this. Marvin's got one. Wait, hold on. What, Marvin, what were you going to say? Hey, Andy, regarding Miami football, did everything go downhill once Kyle Wright became the starting QB? Because they talked about <laughs> him at nauseum after the Ken Dorsey years. They were like, Kyle Wright yep. is the next one. What happened there? No, no, because, I mean, there were other QBs – like, Jacory Harris was supposed to be the savior and, and, and wasn't. and So it wasn't just Kyle Wright. It, it, they just – that was an entire program issue where they changed sort of the, the ethos of the program because they wanted to, quote-unquote, clean it up. And all of a sudden, it wasn't the same anymore. And I don't think it's just the quarterback. Now, I think Derek King is doing really good things there, but I think – it's more them deciding to run an offense that they should have been running 10 years ago than, than just Derek King being the quarterback. I think they'll be like when Derek leaves, if they're still running this offense, they'll still be successful as long as they can choose a decent quarterback. But a lot of it was just putting those guys in position. Like Robert Marv probably should have been running this offense. Robert Marv was a really good athlete, but he's been this pro style. Like I'm going to take snaps from under center and I'm going to take a five-step drop and then I'm going to throw the ball. But they could have done more with him. They just didn't. So I, I think it was a, a lot of bad philosophy along the way. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it all on, uh, on Kyle Wright. Plus you got Kenny Kelly. I mean, Kenny Kelly would have been great in these offenses today. Didn't, uh, I don't know. Did Brock Berlin start at Miami or did, uh, was that a little he late? He did. He did. Do you get a, he you, you could beat, beat you, Florida when Florida came down there. Cause you know, Brock had been at Florida and Spoiler loved Brock and, and told him to transfer. He's like, listen, Rex Rosen is really good. You're good, too. You deserve a chance to start, so please go somewhere else and start. He was the number one recruit, as I recall. You, you could have a chapter on him. Who's the guy? Willie Korn also that went to Clemson. 
Number one? Yep. He was he was highly regarded. Oh, I used to watch ESPNU early football games yeah. in like late August, early September, and the games from like South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, those games would be on, and I played high school football in Connecticut, so we didn't play high school football like that. And just watching these guys, and they were like, this is the next one. And some guys become Julio Jones and A.J. Well, Green, and – some don't. Willie Korn is Willie Korn is big time now. He's a, he's in a right on a rising star coaching staff. He is the uh, he's the QB's coach at Coastal Carolina right now. Wow, undefeated. Coastal yeah, Carolina. I know. I've been we've been in on that storyline. That's great. I don't even remember him. Yeah, Grace, Grayson McCall is their freshman quarterback who's been fantastic this year, and uh, and Willie Korn is his position coach. So I get I, you know how I love hype. I so the kid at Alabama, Bryce Bryce Young. So yep. I'm, I'm watching Mac Jones run the offense. Then he comes in, and I expect him to be the second coming. And first of all, he's like 5'10". The second of all, like like he looks like the JV quarterback compared to Mac Jones running that offense. So I got a it little... Doesn't always, it doesn't always work like Tua or Trevor. Yeah. Even for the five-star guys, it doesn't always work like Tua or Trevor. And, and that's what, you know, it, it's weird because it has gotten easier for freshmen to come in and contribute right away at quarterback. But yeah. that's still not always how people physically mature or emotionally mature or mentally mature. Sometimes guys need a couple years in college before they're ready. I mean, heck, Mac Jones needed a couple years before he was ready. Yeah. He would tell you that he was, last year in the Iron Bowl, he was pushing too hard. He was trying to, to win a starting job instead of just trying to do the best thing for that game, and that's how he threw two pick sixes. And so it, it just it takes everybody takes their own time. Some people can hop right in, like Trevor Lawrence did, but some people do need some seasoning. Did you guys watch The Cost of Winning on HBO, by the way? Or have you heard about it, Andy, that this, about that school? I have not watched that yet. It's about a school outside Baltimore that is compete. Uh, they were too good. They got kicked out of their own conference. They, uh, oh, the, yeah. Yeah, now they're I like— I read a, about those guys. Yeah, it's all D1 recruits, but they play—they're play, they play, like the number one, number two team in the country. They play number one modern day when Bryce Young is there in 2019. It was— mm-hmm. Bryce Young single-handedly slaughtered them. Then they turned around and blew out everybody else. But he was so good. It's a different. Would you agree? It's a different game, high school football and college football. I know that sounds like. Oh yeah, They're it's a different style. Different. I, yeah, high school football. Unless you're matching two really great, like if you got St. Thomas Aquinas from Fort Lauderdale playing IMG Academy or or Modern Day or or Katy Texas or one of those. Unless you have that, one great player can can completely rule the game. Like it, it, one player can take over the entire game, and then it's over. You can't. Other than Cam Newton, I can't think of that happening at the college level. Yeah. By the way, uh, that team, St. Francis, turned around after losing Modern Day and blew out IMG Academy, which was interesting. It, it's a great documentary. That, that doesn't happen very often. No, no. It's actually even – It's a. It, you'll like it. Do you like quarterback one, Andy? I know you kind of live this. I, those those are kind of manufactured. Yeah, glossy. Yeah, I feel like those are very, very glossed over. So I like I'm not it. not sure how much I'm getting out of that. It's kind of like the MTV quarterback thing. Like, uh, I, I love yeah. the Justin Fields series. And that they had that kid, Spencer Rattler. They had that kid who's now starting somewhere uh, – He's way too small to play quarterback. Who am I talking about? He uh, on Spencer Rattler's team? No, he's like a, not at Wake Forest, but at uh, 
Well, they had Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman was was one of them, and he's Wake Forest quarterback. Yeah, they had Sam, Sam Hartman. Hartman. Sam Hartman, his coach is Chad Greer, Will Greer's dad. Oh my gosh! Okay, you mean oh, so he's a dad to two famous uh, social media influencers. More importantly, <laughs> that that he is. Yes, yeah, yeah. Will Greer, the the NFL quarterback, the least famous of yeah. the Greer boys. Yeah, but Sam Hartman was featured on QB One as like a has no chance of a future, and then he developed into something. Which so I give him a little credit for that. Yep. Although they also convinced yeah, he, me, yeah. he's happy. He's happy. Jamie Newman transferred. Yeah, I know. I'm curious if he'll how he'll do in the draft. I don't think great, but I not think great, he, Bob. I think he'll get sixth or seventh round. No, right? Yes, but not yeah. not, not what not what he was probably thinking when he opted out of Georgia. Man, oh God, you got to write this book, Andy. And then you could do a chapter on the people who come through Georgia and Clemson alone. I mean, that is just insane. So. uh yeah, you got two pre-sales, Marvin Prince and Andrew Perloff, although you'll give us free ones. Sweet. All right, All right buddy. I, no, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely sending you free copies. No question. <laughs> All right, I uh, really appreciate your time. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm going to consider mac and cheese. I'm going to look for a low-carb version if there is such a thing. <laughs> low-carb? Don't even bother. Low-carb mac and cheese is like ribs made out of plants. Don't, don't bother. <laughs> oh, i got to get you back on to talk about this fake meat. Uh, phenomenon! It is everywhere. DP's outside. Listen, I don't. I don't. I don't make lettuce out of meat. So why? Why are you making meat out of vegetables? You say that to me. Dan Patrick's outside grilling some sort of uh, vegetable burger right now. It is everywhere, Ugh. dude. Derek Henry's on a plant-based diet. Everybody is doing it now. It's the next thing. Give it a year. You're going to be doing plant-based ribs. Give it a year, and everybody else will be back eating meat with me. <laughs> You're probably right. All right, Andy. Really appreciate the time. Talk to you soon, buddy. All right, right, that was Andy Staples of The Athletic. Marvin, I can't believe we gave him a book idea. I feel like I want to write a book, but that book, he someone like that has to write, but you need to have been there to understand the culture of those recruiting stories. Oh, absolutely. And when I was young, like I know you looked at me like I was crazy when I came up with some of those names. But I was into like Rivals.com and all that stuff. Oh, me too. Like, not that I was a fan of any of those teams, but you just kind of like to see like who's next and who's the next guy that's going to come up for you know these big time college football uh, and college basketball for me uh, programs. So it was just great uh, listening to him and tell some stories about you know some hits and misses. I can look up name a year and I'll just pull up the Rivals rankings and it's automatically. Let's go 2018 and then we'll we'll sign off in a second here. Number one, Trevor Lawrence. Number two, Justin Fields. I've also seen that that class was very much Justin Fields one and Trevor Lawrence two. Although I got to tell you, I had heard about through some guys I know really, I think the shoe guys knew about Trevor Lawrence forever. Justin Fields two. Then, let's see, uh, Amon St. Brown. I guess that's Equinemius Equinemius St. Brown's brother. And I saw he had a big play the other day. Uh, JT Daniels was fourth. Interesting. Then, uh, let's see, Micah Parsons was six, who is the Penn State star who opted out for the year. Patrick Sherstain, Sherstain, who's amazing in Alabama, was nine. This is so much fun. You look back and, like, these guys are kind of accurate. Like, basically, that's five pros right there that they were on. They pretty much had right on, right on target. I mean, if the guy is a linebacker at Clemson, he has a great chance to go pro. Right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, is that a fun like, – Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, JT Daniels all in the top four. No, I love looking at those, especially, like, back in, you know, 2005, and you just see guys where – like, there's certain guys from the jump where you knew, all right, this guy is a stud, and he's in 
11th grade, 12th grade, and to see where some of those guys end up or don't end up, you know, different college programs. Some of those guys might come in feeling themselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. And because going to, into those schools, and I think, like, you've seen this with different people, there's five stars everywhere. Like, if you go to yep. Alabama and you're a five-star recruit, you're not, like, yeah. a friend of mine that played basketball at UConn, like, he would call it me too. Where, and what I mean by that is, when somebody says, okay, I was all state, me too, twice, me too. I led the state in scoring, me too. Like, everybody's got a resume. Come on, Marvin, you got to give a name here. Oh, my man, uh, Doug Wiggins. Like, he played for two years, okay. and he ended up uh, transferring. He went to the same high school I did. But it's like everyone's got a resume yep. when you get to that level of, you know, college athletics. By the way, you don't know. Do you know? You don't know about the St. Browns's at Quinnipiac St. Brown. He's a receiver on the Packers. Went to Notre Dame. Amon Ra, who I just mentioned, St. Brown, who was at USC, had a big catch the other weekend. This is an incredible family. There was a HBO Real Sports on them. The mom made them learn seven languages in high school, <laughs> and they wanted them to not just be athletes, but be like world leaders. It's a crazy story. So they all know like seven. They know like Greek and all these things. They have all these strange first names, but they're all ballers. Yeah, I can't believe you don't remember him. He was the tall, tall receiver in Notre Dame. Anyway, keep an eye out now. You'll notice him everywhere. He had a big catch this week uh, for the Packers, caught a bomb and jumped over a guy this week against the Colts. Anyway, and then his his brother is amazing at USC. So St. Brown, a little homework for you. Go on YouTube. It's a really interesting family. I don't know. Uh, are you like? Are you that kind of dad? Are you going to make your kid just like, you know, get 1,600 SAT, learn nine languages? You don't strike you strike me more of the laid back dad. Yeah, no, I'm fun dad in my house. Yeah, yeah. My my wife is the one Me too. <laughs> my wife is the one she didn't get a B until she was in college. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's that type. Oh. I got A B in high school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so no, no, no. So she's she's actually home with him right now, homeschooling and she's got everything set up. She's a teacher also. Yeah, I know. So for for sure, like and you know this, like you have like a spouse that's, you know, high performing. They want you and I'm like, man, do you want to watch, you know, Paw Patrol? I yeah. don't care. I'm the fun dad. I like honestly, like they my eight year old views it as like the three friends. Me, the ten year old, like I'm a third friend. I have no dadly power. I have no disciplinary power whatsoever. I have girls too. It's like forget it. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a it's a rap for you. Like, yeah. oh sure, you guys can do whatever you want. And the fifth grader, I can't solve her math. Like, you you have no idea how much math leaves your brain when you're as old as me. I have no idea. I'll have to, like, fake it through. Uh, there's a, something about how you divide a triangle into two equal parts that I, I, like, I just can't. My brain's not going there. Uh, yeah, we're, I love that. We're the worst virtual school parents ever, Marvin. I think everybody, like, I, I don't think Pauly does anything. Uh, Seton might get a little involved. Todd definitely does nothing. No, 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 no. absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, Todd's kids are a little older, but I would say of the the parents, <laughs> the Dan Patrick Show crew, the parents were not great teachers. We're good at radio and uh, TV, but we're not great at teaching. Fair to say? Yeah. Hey, they don't pay me to teach my kids. <laughs> uh, that's against the grain. Everyone have a safe and happy holiday. We'll talk to you next week. Against the grain.